Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Star Trek, the pod directive, the official Star Trek podcast. I am one of your hosts, Tony Newsom. I'm the other one of your hosts, Paul F. Tompkins, and I just realized in the last episode we did not introduce ourselves ever. If they don't know by now, if you don't, you don't know, know me us by, by now, you will. Yeah, keep we going. I, well, never, I didn't know ever, ever when. Know when do we have to pay? Oh, that's true. Well, <laughs> I trust our trusty producers will cut off <laughs> exactly at the word <laughs> we have to pay. I think it's more than 10 seconds. We didn't do 10 seconds. No, I don't think so. We could have. We could have done the whole song, everybody. We could have done the whole song. <laughs> but we didn't. So welcome to this podcast. And I like is... to think that Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes would have allowed us to. God, that's what you were doing. <laughs> I was wondering, why does she seem like she's stalling for some reason? I had to just check really quick because I did I did mix it up. I thought it was the uh, the Four Tops. It was not. It was Harold Melvin. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the Four Tops covered it. Who had the big cover? Was it, was it Simply Red? Do you know if the Four Tops happened to cover it? <laughs> I was trying to stall again, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Do you know the Muffin Man? <laughs> You will never ever. Okay. Um, you guys come to this pod for parody songs of classic soul, right? Right? Yes. You want it. You, this is like Kids Bop. Oh my God. But like a Kids Weird Al version. Kids yeah. Bop for Motown. Ugh. We we take existing songs. Mm-hmm. We change the lyrics to be like nursery rhymes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one likes it. And it's a real lost leader. We are yeah. broke. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time and we don't have fun doing it. But we keep on. <laughs> and yet she persisted. Uh, uh, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Uh, we have another corker of an episode for you, gang. Yep. Our guest this time out is Emily Vanderwerf. Gotta say, mm-hmm. funnest named guest. Yeah, it is fun. It's like a little, it go, it's, it's a little ride for your mouth. It goes up and down. <laughs> is that so much to ask? To have everyone's, a little ride for your mouth. Everyone's name should be a ride for one's mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, Emily is a, a TV critic. Um, she's the critic at large for Vox. Before that, she was the TV editor for the AV Club. Before that, she worked at a lot of newspapers. And before that, the internet wasn't really around. So who cares? Her words, not ours. <laughs> um, we deeply care about Emily's career trajectory. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool to talk to a real TV critic who has real scientific reasons for why things are good or bad, as opposed to just everyone's opinions all the time. Cause it, she likes Trek. So it validates for us that Trek is very good critically, which I always knew, but nice to hear. 
Where do you stand on reviews, Tani? Do you read many reviews? I don't. Like, if it's something I'm in? Well, anything. Like, like, do you look to reviews as a source for whether or not you're going to check something out? Or do you read your own reviews? <laughs> I... I never look to them whether I'm going to check something out. The only time I will read a review, like um, former guest of the show, Angelica Bastian, had um, a couple reviews. Like if, if something is being reviewed because it has made a, a huge mistake, yes. <laughs> if it has done something wrong, like racially Absolutely. or like sexism wise, and and a critic is like telling us why we should not you yeah. know, support this property, then I will, then I'll, I'll read that. But I'm not really reading it to be like, yes, I want to see this. And if I'm in something, I read it just to see um, if they think I did a good job. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it's very hard. <laughs> I don't care hard. if they stay on the show. If they say something nice about me, I'm like, they can hate the show all they want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, thriving. Yeah. <laughs> the one positive note, you're always looking <laughs> yeah. for that phrase. Yeah. Um, or also in the cast in an otherwise planned <laughs> review. <laughs> Tony do some rounds out the I'm cast. fine with. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like I used to read a lot more collected reviews, things like that. Like mm-hmm. I loved books of film reviews and um you know of 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 films that are in like the big canon and stuff like that mm. but man a review a, an epic takedown review can be so enjoyable the, one of the one of the mo- one of the most amazing was the that review of the Guy Fieri restaurant in Times Square yes. <laughs> do you remember that oh i do and then I have mixed emotions because Guy Fieri, for all intents and purposes, seems like a nice man. He gives he money to like charity. He's a really nice guy. I know. He just has a wild look. Yeah. Uh, he really stepped up during the quarantine, during the pandemic, when, yeah. when you know, restaurants were struggling. Um, I th- He seems like an awesome guy and he seems very sincere in what he does. Yes. And he's such a punchline. And I feel, I mean, I'm sure I've participated in it. Look, I didn't know this was going to be a Fieri stand podcast, but just, just give us a minute. <laughs> He seems like an okay dude. I mean, this is a lesson to us all. You got to give people a chance to grow. You got to get to know. Don't judge a book by 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 its frosted tips and its (laughs) flaming bowling shirt. We're even doing it now. I'm sorry, Guy Fieri. I'm sorry we're trashing you. You just have a unique look that you like. It's none of our business. One of the things I I never watch the show, but the uh, diners, diners, drives in and dives, right? Drive-ins. Wait. Diners and dives. Drive-ins, diners, and dives. Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Do you think when he went to one of these restaurants <laughs> that they would, the people at the restaurant would always think, are we are we in one of the dives? Are we one of the dives? <laughs> we're not I, a drive-in. We're not a drive-in. I, I guess we're a diner. We serve coffee and eggs. Are we I, I'd, like to think, I'd like to think we're closer to a diner than a dive. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but maybe some people take pride in being a dive. I love a dive. I mean, I love a dive, but you shouldn't take pride in it. <laughs> <laughs> know what you are. Our bathroom is disgusting. Isn't oh, it atmospheric? Yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> I think it's kind of cute. I like when things aren't so polished. Coming from Los Angeles, everything's so polished. Understood. Understood. Everything has an Instagram account. Just be a, just be a place that serves chicken and be done with it. Sorry, this is Tony's get off my lawn hour. <laughs> I'm 100 years old. But so Emily, you will hear in the interview, is doing a very cool thing that I wanted to start doing. Um, she tells us about how she's watching an episode of TV every night. Uh, she started this during the pandemic and I think is continuing it um, with a group of friends and they chat over Slack and yeah, yeah, and they started doing Deep Space Nine because it had enough seasons to like satisfy a long time. And mm-hmm. yeah, she 
gained a new um, kind of love for the series doing that with her with her friends. Yeah. I mean, it really does sound like a, a fun thing to do and, and pretty mm-hmm. easy to do, you know. Paul, what would you pick right now if you were going to pick a, a show to watch with friends? Ooh, maybe The Americans. Yeah. Oh, that's to a To rewatch one. The Americans. Yeah. I yeah, love yeah. that one. God, yeah. that is a... If you haven't seen The Americans, it's about um, spies in the 80s with um, Matthew, Matthew Reese, Reese and Felicity... And- not Felicity. Felicity What's your real name? Carrie. <laughs> 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 wait, you did knocked out of my mind. Now it's Felicity. Carrie forever. Russell. Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell. It's oh no, Matthew she appeared. <laughs> <laughs> I said it into a mirror. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a great series and it's a perfect, is it four seasons or five? It's like a perfect. Five seasons. Yeah. It wraps up so perfectly. It never yeah. jumps the shark. It stays true to the story. Yeah. Oh, it is so good. Noah Emmerich is in it. He's amazing. He's great. Yeah. He's so good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a, he came on Space Force the first season and we were like literally sitting in a desert rock quarry, like a 50 foot hole in the earth for <laughs> 15 hours one day in a hundred <laughs> degree heat. And we just sat there like trying to find shade and I would just be sitting there like sweating, gross, be like, I loved you in the Americans. You were so great. <laughs> And he goes, I love that job. I could walk to work. I was like, oh. Uh, what? <laughs> I guess they wild. filmed in Brooklyn where he lived, yeah. Wow. Um, Kevin is telling us, our producer Kevin Bartelt is telling us that it was six seasons, the Americans. Oh, uh, my apologies to that sixth season. I wonder which one I was omitting. It's just more to love. So yeah, you would start watching <laughs> that one. Maybe The Sopranos, because I, I watched The Sopranos when it aired, and I know a lot of people were getting into it over the over the last year. Um, it seemed like people that had never watched it were all of a sudden watching it. And it was funny. It's funny to see people discover a thing that you saw a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this show is good. Yeah. <laughs> I think you talk about that in the interview and you'll hear how I tried to watch The Sopranos. It didn't, it didn't go well. Um, so let's get to it. Let's talk to Emily and, or well, we already talked to her. Let's let you hear us talking to Emily. Now you get to hear it. The secret can be told. After the break. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Emily, you said you you kept up with Trek in the... 90s yes but you weren't a super fan until very recently um yeah and during the pandemic we this is a very common story by the way that people are getting back into trek during mm-hmm. the pandemic and you've been re-watching season two of ds9 what brought you back to trek what kept you there and what's your experience been re-watching this stuff you know i watch uh i watch an episode of tv every day with friends um, we get on a Slack together and we discuss. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we discuss an episode. 
I love this idea, like a book club for a TV show yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, because it's usually it's just like you're mostly just texting people who are watching the same thing you're watching. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, but to to have like a discussion about it sounds like such a fun idea. Yeah. Yeah. And we had been through a number of shorter shows and we were sort of like, can we do one that's longer? And DS9 was the first one that came up. It's always been my favorite Trek, I think because it was kind of my first Trek and that was sort of my introduction to it. I'd seen some of the original series when I started watching it, but Deep Space Nine was the first one I think I saw almost every episode of. Um, uh, and so we we sort of were like, what can we watch that's long? Deep Space Nine came up, and I was immediately impressed by... I had remembered sort of the conventional wisdom that the first couple seasons are a little bit more hit and miss, which is true, but they're much less hit and miss than I expected, um, especially compared to like Next Gen, which I, I rewatched um, last year. So uh, those first two years of DS9 have a lot of great stuff in them. And I love the feeling of that show being out on the edge of society. It's sort of that real space Western gun smoke type of thing. And, and it's it's still holding up for you. Honestly, it's holding up beautifully. Mm -hmm. I'm a little over a lot of modern TV storytelling conventions. I, I, you know, a lot of them are good. A lot of them are great. I I just, I like this feeling of a series where every episode tells its own little story and yet they all kind of hook up into something bigger. And Deep Space Nine was sort of an early experimenter in that format. And I just, I think it works beautifully in this show. I just love that like, I get to spend an hour every day hanging out with my Star Trek friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm watching one a day kind of adds this this extra feeling of time passing that I think really adds to the show in a great way. And I I I love I love the characters on this show. I think they of all things have held up the most. I'm I'm sure we'll get mm-hmm. into this a bit, but um I'm I'm a I'm a trans woman and I read a lot of this series as a trans allegory in a way that I find really compelling and interesting. Uh, when I was a, a teenager watching this show, my favorite character was Dax, and I didn't dare interrogate that too much. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hear that from a lot of trans women. They're like, Dax, sure? that's interesting. Yeah, um, I growing up, my favorite character was Dax. I think she still might be my favorite character Despite me being a, a character now, I don't think I can be my favorite self. So <laughs> I think I think I, I still can say it's Dax. Um, yeah, there's something about her that spoke to me, just my feelings of outsiderism. Yeah. You know, she's a she's a white woman, but it, I felt like she was a, a character of color somehow. Like I was definitely mm-hmm. layering my shit onto her because I think because she was so she was written in such a complex, beautiful way that allowed her to be a lot of things for a lot of people who needed them, maybe. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. And I think that the idea of detaching your consciousness in a weird way and placing it in somebody else is like Mm. a thing that we all, you know, I think even people who are extremely comfortable in their their power and their privilege and their cisness or their whiteness or whatever, have this thought of, well, what if I was somebody else? You know, that is a Mm. thing you can't quite escape from. And Dax, I think, speaks to that in all of us. Um, And, of course, the further you get from the white, cis, straight, dude, um, you know, archetype, the more you're, like, going to tap into that idea of, oh, I feel a little bit like I'm I'm sort of, you know, trapped in a world that doesn't quite understand who I am. Uh, You mentioned the serialized nature of DS9, them playing with the idea of being, it was still, you know, episodic, standalone, 
micro stories, but that hooked into larger arcs. Um, three of the episodes that you highlighted as being favorites of yours or ones you wanted to talk about was the massive three-parter, that season two opener of DS9. The episodes are The Homecoming, The Circle, and The Siege, which are all about, I mean, they're just this, it's a three-part saga about getting this Bajoran hero back to his rightful place, but then finding out he's not really what he was. It, it's a great, like, it's a great character arc for Kira that we see. Mm-hmm. I had kind of forgotten about these three episodes because I think like sometimes with DS9, when they get too into the Bajoran and the conflict and the war and stuff, I like, I don't know. I think I was like always trying to get past them a little bit to get to more charactery stuff. Like my yeah. favorite episodes are episodes like Facets, like with Dax, mm-hmm. where you're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, an an aspect of her character being really explored. But um, yeah, do you consider that those three episodes to be uh, an example of what you're talking about, like them playing with that serialization for the first time? Oh, absolutely. Um, I just adore, I adore the way that these episodes play around with ideas about um, how to tell a story within the Star Trek universe. Like there is this element of, you know, each episode is its own little thing, but at the same time, they are really telling they're, they're telling a, a longer story across three smaller stories, which is murderously mm-hmm. difficult to do. Um, another thing I really love about them is you can tell they got out of season one and they heard from the fans, we love Kira and we love O'Brien because this is <laughs> these are episodes about those two characters. <laughs> and like, I also feel like these episodes know how to use Cisco really well, which is like the one guy who can come into the room and figure out a way to resolve a conflict But sometimes, you know, he feels the pressures of that sort of that need to be the guy in the room who's always the most level headed and who's always the most ready to, like, figure this out. Um, The Bajoran-Cardassian conflict is is tricky. I feel like I understand it better as a as an adult than I did when I was a teen. As a teen, I was like, let's just do some space battles, you know, (laughs) Uh, but like the, the feeling of watching these two. Uh, these two alien species try to coexist alongside each other. There's a very 90s take on it in terms of, well, can't we all just get along? You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. the the core of it. But it's at least, I would say it's a lot more nuanced than some of the ways that those same ideas were presented in original series in Next Generation. I'm not besmirching either of those shows. I love those shows. This show, I just think, is a little bit more willing to let in those shades of gray without being dominated by them. One of my best friends is a huge Trek fan, and she is not super into DS9 for the reason of those shades of gray. Mm. But I feel like it's a show that balances that element of moral ambiguity without giving up the core of Star Trek, which is this utopian ideal of all sorts of people and other species working together to make the world a better place. Like, making the world a better place, as we found in our present reality, involves a lot of conflict and involves a lot of discussing differences and involves a lot of things of, you know, okay, so if we're all on board with this utopian ideal, that doesn't necessarily immediately eliminate, you know, conflict between two alien races that have been fighting for centuries. So mm-hmm. it is a, it is a, an interesting show and a fascinating show, and I think a deeply compelling show in terms of just finding a way to tell stories about moral ambiguity within a universe that doesn't necessarily like that sort of storytelling. Speaking of deeply compelling, I have to say I admire 
the idea of watching one a day as opposed to <laughs> like we we just got used to like this weird place that we're in uh-huh. where it's like i kind of can't go anywhere today so i'm gonna watch an entire <laughs> season of television yeah. but the idea the idea of watching one a day to give not only to not kind of spoil the show because that that's it won't be over so quickly. Um, you have something to look forward to, and it helps. It helps demarcate time in a way that I think a lot of us are struggling with um, yeah. in this period. Yeah, it's it's really been um, uh, my my two friends. I'm doing this with. They started it sort of on their own. They were watching um, Lost, which is you know the ABC series that that ran mm. for several years and was uh, I think really great. And it really like helped them sort of ground themselves in time. Mm-hmm. I have been thinking a lot about how we mark time. You know, as we're recording this, it's it's two days before Christmas 2020. So this is going to air a long time after that. But I just, it doesn't feel like Christmas to me at all. <laughs> you know, it doesn't no. feel like New Year's is coming. It doesn't feel like all these things that normally I would be like right in the, in the run up <laughs> to that. And it is so hard to just, not make the days blend together. And I think by rationing this show out, and there's times we watch more than one. Like we watched all three of <laughs> we watched all three of these on a Saturday. Cause like you can't right. just watch one of these. But yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it it really has helped us be sort of in a space where we can say, okay, time is still passing. The days are still changing. It is kind of mm-hmm. like going into your office every day. That's how I start mm-hmm. every morning. I sit down with my friends, I watch a DS9, I eat my breakfast. And then I get on with my day. There is a ritual to it that helps me feel like I'm still alive. I'm still living through this, <laughs> this weird and, and stressful time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you're starting your day with it. I kind of love that, too, because it's not like a wind down at the end of the day, having a beer. Like, it, it feels more like, okay, I'm intentionally starting my day with a, a hopeful series that is also very realistic. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Yeah, and it's, you know, they're on the East Coast, so they watch it uh, over lunch. And so that's when I'm eating my breakfast at sort of 9 a.m. Pacific. And yeah, it, it really has become a ritual I welcome, you know, that mm-hmm. every day we sit down and we do watch this hopeful story and we do have this time with our friends. And, you know, we're, we're talking about how much it's evident that uh, Bashir and, um, and, and Garrick should be kissing. Um, oh, because, yeah. yeah, that <laughs> That's comes a big up. One. <laughs> but like, you know, so we're, we're goofing around on the show, but also, you know, you'll hit an episode like one of these three or the one that immediately follows that I don't remember the name of that I really love or like duet from season one. And you'll just be like, uh-huh blown away by how deep and compelling and thoughtful the show is and frankly how good the cast is everybody Mm -hmm. in this show is so good and everyone in this show is so dialed into their character especially by season two but i think a few episodes into season one you know you think about uh, even a character who could be as hard to take and as repugnant as quark where like Armin Shimmerman has to work through that Ferengi makeup, which is inherently mm-hmm. like kind of hard to look at. And yet I just, I love Quark. He's, he's such a nice boy. I would want to just, you know, he <laughs> pretends to be, he pretends to be a jerk, but deep down he's got a heart of gold. Yep. Anyway, I'm marrying Quark. That's the uh, summation of this episode. <laughs> I mean, scoop. Armin Shimmerman, I mean, he needs all the Emmys for that because he really did make that character so lovable. I have to say, I am, I would be remiss to not say that I tried to do kind of what you're doing with DS9 with some friends. We did not do it over Slack. We just were texting each other. And of course, what ended up happening, and this was maybe four years ago, 
What ended up happening, they were on the East Coast. They had considerably more time than I did at the time. They got ahead of me. And so they would tweet back to me little or text me little morsels, like a little carrot dangling like, hey, hey, this is coming up. You better catch up to us. And the one thing that I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, is when they told me, hey, watch out for, I think it's season one, episode 15, maybe 16, mm-hmm. If Wishes Were Horses, where uh, the, the Stiltskin shows up, and they were like, watch out, a terrifying Stiltskin is going to show up. And I was like, guys, I don't know if I have time for this. I can't do this. <laughs> but I'm so glad I stuck it through. And yes, I was behind them the whole time. But man, that episode was why. And when I got to it, I was like, they did not lie. There's, there's a straight up fucking Stiltskin running around. <laughs> But I but Tony, had you it. not seen? Had you seen it originally when it when it when first a, aired, or when I was yes. a child? But <laughs> right, there's right, so right. much wild shit that's happened in that show. Yeah. I don't think I latched onto that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had heard just things about the the board game episode, which I had no memory of. Which is oh, very, yeah. which is about halfway through season one, and it's bonkers. And it's <laughs> it's not a great episode of Star Trek or DS Nine, but. There's something really good about it all the same. Like, I'm not going to say it's a good episode of television because it's not, mm-hmm. but it's a good, bad episode of television. And like, there's this, there's this, there's a skill to that, that like, lets you know a show is good because even if it's cranking out an episode that bad, it's doing so in a way that's intensely watchable. So mm-hmm. don't go watch that episode. But if you do, if you're watching the whole series and you're like, this is not as bad as I was expecting, I feel like that's a sign of the show's quality. I agree. It's a big ask. Network television orders are a big ask. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of episodes of TV. And especially if you're an hour long show and you have uh, Mm -hmm. a a huge backlog of mythology and you have all these characters that you have to take care of. And it's like when there's a clunker in there, you got to just say, Okay, I mean, you know, (laughs) but I, I, I speaking of lost, I remember being so frustrated by. Was it the second season when they were people were in cages for a while? Yeah, um, the third, the third, yeah. <laughs> the third, yeah. And it dipped down so much where it felt, you know, watching it week to week, it felt like, what's going on here? Why won't these people just say, why are you doing this to us? You know, mm-hmm. which was a question that <laughs> never got asked. Nobody thought to ask like, hey, just real quick, why are you putting us in why? cages? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, and like, I, I love, I love network television. Mm-hmm. I feel like the 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 energy and the creative direction in television right now is obviously with streaming and obviously with working on these big name platforms uh, and obviously with working on these big name franchises. You know, Star Trek Discovery is a show I really enjoy. Um, but there's something about the fact that when you have 26 episodes in a season, you have to give every character a spotlight. You have to do some of these weird episodes that don't quite pan out. And you just can't do that in a shorter order season. Like, yeah, I love Discovery, but they struggle to do that sort of thing for that reason. And like, it's a different kind of storytelling, so I don't want to hold that against them. I think what this kind of storytelling they do is very good, but I miss that art form of, we have 26 episodes this season, and we have to mm-hmm. make them all like at least a C. And yeah. we're going to try and make as many of them as B plus as possible, and sometimes we'll get an A. And like... I used to work at the AV club. We graded TV episodes it, mm-hmm. and it is so hard to do a season where every episode is at least a C. So like the fact that DS9 did it for seven years, even if there's some bad ones in there, you know, it is really impressive to me. And it is like a new, it's, it's a, um, it's a, a way of storytelling that we, 
before streaming didn't really have here, unless you're talking about a miniseries. But yeah. the idea of a short order where you're going to have this, you know, network production value, even cable production value, um, but still kind of tell stories in the same way. Um, I think I think it's still being figured out in a in a lot of ways. Yeah, and boy, I, like DS Nine is part of this movement in the '90s that is mostly sci-fi shows. You see, um, like ER kind of gets in on this, but it's uh, X Files, it's Buffy, it's Babylon Five, which I've never seen, so don't ask me about it. But there's these shows, <laughs> there's these shows. It's it's. I have a friend who gives me a hard time about that, and I always say to her, "I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this show. Uh, like it's gonna be the last TV show I watch. I'm gonna figure out <laughs> when I'm dying, and I'm right. gonna watch the show because you have bugged me about it so much that I'm gonna yep. watch it at the end uh, Just from your deathbed. Like yeah. it's time. Really <laughs> 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 on TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, I so there's these shows that are telling individual stories that are adding up to a larger one. And it was, it wasn't like nothing. It was, you know, there were other TV shows that had done things like this. Obviously there'd been primetime soaps. There'd been soap operas from the start of television, but Mm -hmm. doing it in a way where it is in this, this other sort of, it mixes that sort of storytelling style with another genre, uh, the sci-fi genre in this case was really revolutionary. And you immediately see um, something like the Sopranos taking lessons from that. And then Mm -hmm. you see sort of the golden age of television that breaks out in the 2000s. Really, it starts here. It starts with these sci-fi shows in the 90s that are saying, well, our audience is deeply engaged. They're deeply invested. They're going to watch as many episodes as they possibly can. So why not just give them a story that kind of strings along from episode to episode to episode? And you watch DS9 become much bolder with that as time goes on. Like, uh, there is a there are just a handful of mentions in this season of something called the Dominion. And yet it's mm-hmm. talked about often enough that you're like, this seems like something. And then it <laughs> is. And that's the kind of thing you couldn't do now. You could not be like oh, we're going to mention the Dominion offhand a couple of times in season two because you only have eight episodes. So if you're suddenly like the Dominion, everyone that's watching is like, oh, that's going to pay off somewhere. And Mm -hmm. in a 26-episode season, you're like, well, maybe that's just flavor text. I don't know. Maybe that's just a thing that's around the edges of this show. And then, then you find out it's so central to what's coming. Yeah, I could see how it just seems like world building because there was so much world to build um Mm -hmm. i also i feel very validated given that you are a tv critic saying what i had maybe felt but didn't have the words to say about how uh especially the 90s trio of trek influenced this golden age of tv because i feel like i watch prestige television very good shows now and i have this deja vu feeling of like didn't star trek do this before (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. things that aren't sci-fi at all and i'm like I feel like they hashed this out with with Star Trek. So it, it it's very validating to me to hear you say it because uh I think people should trust your opinion more than more than mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and you I mean you watch any number of shows from the great showrunners right now and they're taking so many lessons from this kind of storytelling. Um I mean we spent last year a lot of last year talking about um the uh TV show Watchmen which was a nine episode mm-hmm. miniseries based on uh, sort of loosely 
adapted from the comic, by which I mean it was a sequel to the comic, but I'm not going to get into that here. There's a lot of very Star Trek storytelling in that show. Mm -hmm. It is a show that's like, we're going to make these discrete episodes that add up to a whole. And because they have nine episodes, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easier to make that happen. It's always very difficult to make that happen. But they do, you know, they can sort of build in a more uh, deliberate way than a 26-episode season of Star Trek. That said, like a 26-episode season of Star Trek leaves you time to do things like, um, I recently watched this episode called Paradise, where um, Cisco and I think O'Brien, I, I yeah, they go to this planet that is sort of off the grid, and there's these like survivors who've crashed there, and they have a really uh, they have a really harsh, strict system of punishment and making sure nobody contacts the Federation and all of these things. Oh, right. Like, they're like, no technology. Is this the one where they put Cisco in the box? Yes. It's basically like the village. There's, Mm. um, there's elements of, of racial allegory. I'm not sure the writers were completely up to, but at the same time, it's like, (laughs) I mean, that was a slave box. They put Cisco in a box that literally that happened during Mm. chattel slavery. It was, Mm. if they didn't mean it that way, then the, then the props guy was like, I mean, we're building a slave box, right? (laughs) It's very clear to me. (laughs) And yet there is something in that episode that is so smart about who Cisco's character is and what it might be to live in the future and want to reject the future that is like mm. a sneakily smart um that is a sneakily smart like allegory for so many things in our modern world that actually in a weird way it plays better now than i think it did in the 90s in the 90s it was just like well this is a little heavy handed and now i'm like maybe we need heavy handed you know yeah <laughs> That 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 episode. Thinking back on it now, I, I could see there being shades of like kind of a an anti masker type of a, yeah. a vibe to mm-hmm. it too. Because yeah. you know they were this insular, yeah, they were this insular society that wanted that wanted to stay that way and just wanted to be blatantly wrong. <laughs> if there is a if there is a very network TV era thing about this show, it is it is something about like how that episode ends, which is everybody's like, well. The person who was in charge was bad, but we've had a great time living here, so we're just going to stay. <laughs> I can I can contort myself to make that about like like privilege or gated suburban Absolutely. communities or whatever you want, but at the same time, yeah. it's it's a very '90s thing of well, you know, it's all okay in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, yeah, we ask well, everybody, and uh, so we have to ask you: What was your first contact with Star Trek? Gosh, I used to go and visit my grandmother in uh, a town called Huron, South Dakota. And she had the Fox TV network, which Mm -hmm. we did not have in my little town growing up. Right. And Fox was the network that showed every night at 9 p.m. It showed uh, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern. It showed (laughs) Star Trek, like the original series. And so I went and stayed with her for a week in the summer. And I just watched it every night. Um, most of it was season three. So most of them were not great, but, uh, I, I, there, there was one in there that just really blew me away. I, I feel like it was a mock time. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not like, I I don't, you know, I was like 10, so I don't have a great memory of it, but so I feel like it was a mock time. And I just was like, Oh, this is like the best thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I went home and I couldn't watch Star Trek because we didn't get Fox. This is a this is a 90s nostalgia hour, everybody. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I had to wait to go back to my grandma's. And I think eventually I asked her to start taping it on mm-hmm. a VCR and sending me the tapes. 
And that just ended up being, yeah, that just ended up being like, my parents were like, okay, we're going to have to figure something out here. So like we extended our TV antenna (laughs) so we could just get, we could just get a fuzzy Fox signal. Right. And Mm -hmm. so like I would watch Star Trek and if there was like a storm, I couldn't see it, but Mm -hmm. on a nice, clear, sunny day. And so like I lived (laughs) for weekends when it was shown, when they showed um, Next Gen or Deep Space Nine or whatever happened to be running at that time. And so I lived for that. And like, mm-hmm. if it was a nice sunny day, I could see that week's episode of Star Trek. So as I've as I was watching the first season of DS9, I was like, I haven't seen all of these, and I re- I realized it's because that was probably a week when there was you know a storm or something. <laughs> so I just could yeah. not see it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Did your grandmother watch it with you? Sometimes, yes. She. Yeah. Um, when you think about myself as a as like a media consumer, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who writes about media. I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian household, which was a lot for a lot of reasons. But one of them was <laughs> I, I wasn't really allowed to watch TV or movies. And when I'd go to her house, I could kind of watch, not whatever I wanted. She put a, a rein on some things, but I could watch the sci-fi and fantasy stuff that I wanted to be watching and wasn't mm-hmm. always watching. And she would watch most of it with me. So I'm sure we watched a lot of Trek together. Um, I know that uh, it was not her bag. You know, it was not the kind of thing that she wanted to be watching, but she liked spending time with me. And I'm sure that like she enjoyed it on that level. Yeah. Talking about um, your friend who was insisting that you watch Babylon 5. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I came to a position relatively recently in the last few years of I tried to uh, really be mindful of what I passionately recommended to someone else because there's so much stuff now. There's so much stuff and you can't like, you just can't be, I I feel like you can't be as precious about your favorite things as you used Mm -hmm. to be, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have to realize like everyone's got their own thing. I can't make, I I would love it if this person watched this thing, but I can't, um, expect them to have the same reaction that I did and I shouldn't try to force it because I don't know. I feel like when, when people do that with me, a lot of times it puts so much pressure on you as a yeah. viewer to watch mm. something, to, to absolutely love it and feel like you're getting something. But then a big one for me was halt and catch fire that I would, I would cautiously recommend to people mm. and say, look, I did not like it when it first came out. I like, I watched the pilot and it didn't grab me. And then for whatever reason, I just kept hearing, not from, from firsthand accounts, but from, from reviews, things like that. People saying, this is one of the best shows that's ever been made. And I'm like, all right, I got to rewatch this. <laughs> and then my, so my wife and I rewatched it and we absolutely, it's one of our favorite series that we've ever seen. But mm-hmm. as a professional media consumer, do you have personal rules about recommending or receiving recommendations? Mm. I try not to push stuff too hard. You know, when it's something like Halt and Catch Fire, where I feel like this is one of the best shows ever made and nobody's talking about it. And if I don't keep pushing it, it's going to die because it's, you know, mm-hmm. going to get canceled. Its ratings were always so low. And mm-hmm. now people have kind of caught up. to me. Yeah. People have kind of caught up with that on Netflix. And like, that's how it's become a thing that people know about. But um, I, I try not to push things too hard unless I'm just that passionate about them. Because again, I'm not just I'm not just someone who writes about stuff. I, I I mean, I also make stuff. I make podcasts. I make you know. Obviously, I write like articles that are you know I'm extremely proud of that then just die on the vine. Nobody reads mm-hmm. them because there's so mm-hmm. much stuff out there you could like look at. 
And it is really hard to be in that place of, I love this. I'm so proud of this. Or I love this. I want everyone to see this and realize that everybody else has their own thing they're going on with. And I do miss the era of we were all watching Star Trek and we could all talk about the same Star Trek show at the same time. And then we could argue about Kirk versus Picard versus Cisco or whatever we were arguing (laughs) about. But there is something beautiful about everybody getting to have their one thing that they love the most and then proselytizing about it to their friends (laughs) and tell their friends are sick of hearing about it. So I try not to push too hard And what I try to do is I try to convey my passion. I don't try to make it your passion. I try to say, this Mm. is a thing I feel strongly about. And you know what? I think if you value my recommendation at all, because we're friends or because you've read my work all these years or whatever, I think you might like it too. Give it a shot. And inevitably, if it's something like Halt and Catch Fire, where it does start a little slow, um, it's better on Netflix because you can just watch it kind of all in one go. But you know, I'll often be like, okay, well, you know, if you if it doesn't grab you right away and you're you're faltering, skip to this episode. Like that's a mm-hmm. thing you can do. Um, I'm not precious about that. I'm not precious about the leftovers is one of my favorite shows of all time. But right. I often tell people skip season one, you know, mm-hmm. because it's very slow mm-hmm. and very depressing. And I like that, but you might not. <laughs> um, and I I do feel that. I do feel that with um when I was rewatching uh, Next Gen, people were like, well, just skip to this season. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't because I, I have TV on while I work, so I could just sort of have it in the background. But I think if I was watching it seriously, I, I might consider it. Not to, Again, not to say those early seasons are bad because they have their charms, but to yeah. say when you know where it can go, it makes it that much harder to watch it figure that out. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you do decide to rewatch TNG, I support the – I understand why people say skip season one – I will add a recommendation that maybe we could grab you one or two very good Tasha Yar episodes just mm-hmm. so you can get a good appreciation for that character because yeah. she's fantastic. And the way they managed to bring her back, I wish they'd done it five times more than they did, but the way they managed to bring her back for some guest spots later in the in the series is really smart and well handled. So yeah, that would be my that's okay. my recommendation. Okay. I'll keep I'll keep that in mind. I've been thinking <laughs> about rewatching the original series in all its uh, its sixties glory, um, mm. and seeing how it holds up, you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you, as someone who is kind of doing that because of uh, my current job in the franchise, I, I had never really gotten into the original series. I'd seen like mm-hmm. one or two here or there, but you know, doing this job and being on Lower Decks and stuff, I was like, I should I should watch more episodes of that. I will say, don't binge it. Uh, <laughs> Our, mm-hmm. our 2020, uh, you know, classic little lefty snowflake sensibilities cannot take it. I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hard time. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it in forever. And in my in my memory, what I remember is the big ideas of it. And that mm-hmm. holds up in my in my mind. You know what I mean? But uh, when I think about some of the aesthetics, I'm like, well, yeah, that's that's very much of its time. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah, I wonder, I, but this is making me want to revisit everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a lot in a row to just see like a woman in a miniskirt just get slapped for no reason. It yeah. just <laughs> gets to be a, a bit much. <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have, I've never seen Enterprise and I know that has kind oh. I know that that has kind of a low reputation with some, but I've always been like, should I? check that out should i go and watch that 
Um, I watched all of Voyager because I was at the time very much like, even though I knew it, it was very up and down at the time. I was like, Oh, I really like there being a woman captain that speaks deeply mm-hmm. to me. I wonder why let's not interrogate that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like I, I watched like basically all Trek and yet I missed enterprise cause it kind of came out at a time in my life when I just wasn't watching a lot of TV. So mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about going back. What do you think I should do that? I really do. I did not watch Enterprise when it came out, um, but my mom is a Mm. huge Enterprise stan. It is her favorite series. She has watched it all the way through, she says, at least four times. It has given me a new appreciation for it, and I I really enjoy it. There are parts of it where the the writing gets a little wild. Look, it was the early aughts. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of wild stuff. I mean, (laughs) T'Pol, they can't put her in a full pajama they can't put her in a shirt that covers her stomach for the life of them but it's got the one thing that none of the other series have which is it has the closest time frame to us now on earth and so things feel it almost just doesn't it it doesn't feel as trek to me it feels like a, a different thing it feels like something that we could make now about the the near future and yeah it's just it's also just got kind of a swashbuckly more like Western kind of cowboyish feel to it. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I really love um, the first contact, the movie, uh, and mm-hmm. Enterprise always felt like it was in line with that in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I, 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 that's why I've been thinking about going back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's some uh, some interesting stuff in later seasons about addiction that mm-hmm. uh, outside of uh, the series Picard, we haven't s- touched on too too much as like a main character trait yeah. throughout Trek. So that's interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah, I recommend it. And I mean, Trip Tucker, are, are, are we mad anytime we have to look at that actor? No, not one day of my life have I been mad at that. Oh, okay. so. <laughs> I've been thinking about rewatching the the entire canon fr- in chronological order. Oh, wow. Like in, in the order that the series take place, um, oh. just to see... Because I, I I haven't seen all of Enterprise either, but recently scanning through episodes and seeing like, oh, Brent Spiner shows up as Noonien soon at some <laughs> yeah. point. Like this is it, this is intriguing to me for sure. And I thought it might be interesting to see how they deal with all of the uh, the the cross timing of legends and stuff like that that they've made up characters that they've established over the years. And you know, because Enterprise is now seeing that they are referencing characters that have yet to happen in until next gen is like that's very intriguing to me how would you handle time travel like do you watch do you watch city on the edge of forever Ooh. toward the start do you watch um the voyage home toward the start <laughs> right, <you know>? exactly <laughs> do i figure the movies in as well yeah i know yeah gosh i love the voyage home i i it's such a silly movie and yeah. i just love it so much yeah I love that. I love seeing them almost get hit by a, an 80s cab. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I love an image I never thought I'd have. I love that 80s trend of every movie is Crocodile Dundee. You know, yes. like, even the ones before <laughs> Crocodile Dundee, it's like, here's somebody you wouldn't expect to see in New York City or yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah. I, I love it. Are we going to see a punk rocker with a, a colorful mohawk? I bet we are. I also love the trend that every city in the 80s was New York City. Yeah. So even though it was San Francisco, <laughs> exactly. there was a very like, hey, I'm walking here kind of a moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just love it. Um, Emily, are you watching any other shows uh, right now that are things that you're either revisiting from your past or ones that people said you got to watch this kind of like your Babylon 5 friend? 
this is another series with Babylon in the title. I earlier this year watched mm-hmm. finally watched Babylon Berlin, which is a German series. Oh yeah, 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 on yeah. Netflix that I just adore and like mm-hmm. I can't. It is. I think it's my favorite TV drama in production right now. Um, and really? like, th- there's it is. I cannot wait for season four. The production of it was delayed by COVID, as you'd expect, but they say they're getting into production in early 2021. It is about um, a detective and a woman who wants to be a detective in 1929 Berlin, so right on the edge of the Nazis coming to power. It is like no TV show I've ever seen, and kind of like every TV show I've ever seen, because it just Mm -hmm. has everything in there. If Captain Kirk showed up time-traveling in Babylon Berlin and was like... (laughs) I need to stop the rise of the Nazis. You would be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That totally fits in here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a drama. It's a it's a cop show. It's a musical. It's a uh, it's a it's a romance. And the thing, one of the things I love about it is this year there's been a lot of discussion about how we handle cop shows because they tend to make police officers unquestioning heroes. Babylon mm-hmm. Berlin doesn't do that. Babylon Berlin is about how the cops, even when they're good cops, are oblivious to like the real evils that are in their midst. Mm. Because the protagonist is a good guy. He does try to do the right thing, but he's also he also stuff, suffers from PTSD because he was in World War One. He's got debilitating addiction issues, and he totally misses the big picture. He gets some of the criminals, but he misses that like this huge wave that's going to destroy the world is like right on the cusp of happening. It's a it is a show that made me think about the world differently this year. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's wow. on Netflix. Wow. That is a great recommendation because there are, there are so many things I've watched this year that have either cemented my already slightly pessimistic worldview or <laughs> tried to make, break me out of it and weren't successful. <laughs> so yeah. that's a good endorsement if it made you feel differently or think differently. Um, I, just because I, it's rare that I get like such a knowledgeable person about TV in front of me. Selfishly, I want to ask if you've seen Giri Haji. I have not. I've heard great things about it. Um, I This has been a weird year for me because when I went into lockdown, it became a lot harder for me to watch stuff because oh, really? watching stuff is my job. Yeah. So I often do it at the office. And then I'm at home and I'm like, what am I doing now? So I had to like carve out time. My wife and I watch Babylon Berlin an episode at a time. I'm watching mm-hmm. DS9 an episode at a time with my friends. Um, or I watched all of The Queen's Gambit in two days, mm-hmm. you know? There's sure. so like I do do it from time, but I have desperately fallen behind on stuff I want to watch, and um, I, I I've started to like get back into the swing of it, and I'm hopeful then. And is it weird to have my New Year's resolution be to watch more television? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That means you love what you do. Yeah. That means you're doing it right. Yeah. Oh, Emily, have you seen the Bureau? The Bureau. Um, is that the French series? Yes. Okay, I have not, but I know I've heard of it. Yeah. I um I the, one of the things that's interesting is I struggle sometimes with subtitles because I am so often working on something while watching something. This Absolutely, is the thing I, yeah, I hear from sure. a lot of TV critics. Yeah. We are writing a review while we have a screener for something else on, and if mm-hmm. the screener really grabs our attention, that means it's a thing that we should be writing about uh, because there's so much stuff out there. The thing that that is a problem then is you are unable then to watch. Stuff with subtitles. Um, the show Borgen, which is a favorite of mine, yes. popped up on Netflix Love this it. year. Yeah. And I've recommended mm-hmm. it to a number of my TV critic friends who had trouble watching it in the past because it was on weird, out-of-the-way channels. Yeah. And now it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I watched you know, I watched an episode. I really liked it. But I, when am I ever going to find time to watch 
30 hour long episodes of a show about Danish politics that's in right. Danish and is very like intricate and you have to pay attention to everything. It's just, it's, it's so difficult. So when, t- when watching TV is not your leisure activity, it changes how you can watch TV. And so I feel for like, sure. like Gary Haji is the kind of show I would adore and I just haven't had the time for it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. I, I thought of it when you were describing Babylon Berlin, and now it makes sense why Netflix is constantly telling me to watch Babylon Berlin mm-hmm. because I <laughs> watched Giri Haji in like 14 seconds. I binged it so fast because uh, it, it's a similar show that has multiple tonal shifts and anything could happen in it and you wouldn't be all that surprised. Yeah. It's also a tricky one. It might be hard for you because of what you just said, because it is sometimes subtitled and then sometimes there's just scenes that take place in London and everything's yeah. just in English. Mm-hmm. So. It might be a little like up, down. What am I watching? What am I doing? So maybe if you have some time off. <laughs> I will say that, I will say this about Babylon Berlin. Um, have Wikipedia open because it assumes a knowledge of 1929 <laughs> German politics. American viewers might not oh. have. But like it does it. You get it pretty quickly. But for the first few episodes, you have to know the difference between like a Stalinist and a Trotsky Trotskyist and like. A lot of people sure. might know that, but it just is helpful to be like, oh, <laughs> Leon Trotsky was in Mexico and there he these were his supporters, blah, blah, blah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, like it, I think for that reason, people find that they think it starts a little slow, but, uh, you know, it, it gets going very quickly. So you're doing a feature uh, at Vox where you're partnering with your four-year-old friend, Eliza. <laughs> I love, first of all, that you have a four-year-old friend. She's five. She's five now. She's five now. She is okay. my, um, I am her best friend that her mom works with, and she is my best friend who is five. So it works out. Oh, that's adorable. And so you're you're partnering with Eliza to review movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what movies have you done with Eliza so far? Uh, we talked about Trolls World Tour, which is where this <laughs> whole series began. Hell yeah. Uh, we, we talked about the new Looney Tunes on HBO Max. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And since then, we've, we've hit just a number of other things. We hit uh, Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. We hit the Frozen franchise, which she really wanted to talk about. And then when we sat down to talk about it, she wanted to talk about anything but the Frozen franchise. It was very oh, fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is this is the thing I'm literally working on as we're having this conversation, but it will be months in the past when you hear this. But we watched um, Muppet Christmas Carol and Mickey's Christmas Carol and mm-hmm. compared them. Um, learned about adaptation choices. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and soon we will be watching the television series Octonauts, which I have never seen, and she is going to interview me about. So we're going to see how that goes. They're all oh, fantastic. I love the idea of a, I love the idea of like kind of a hostile witness podcast guest or a, <laughs> an interview guest where you're like, we have come on, let's talk about Frozen. You wanted to talk about it. <laughs> Um, would you show her any Trek at this point? Uh, we have like, you know, Star Trek Prodigy coming out, which is the first offering that's specifically for kids. And that's probably still, I don't know, a year away or something. Yeah. But um, is there anything currently out or anything of the old stuff that you would feel comfortable showing her? I feel like she could handle the trouble with Tribbles. You know, like that oh, is yeah. a that is a kid friendly episode, mm-hmm. if ever there was one, or the DS Nine follow up trials and tribulations. Like it would be interesting mm-hmm. to just show her those two. Um, she's a <laughs> yeah. like the reason I do is she's a really bright fucking kid. Like she's so smart, yeah. and um, like on our in our Christmas Carol episode, she just like suddenly had like this critical insight, and I could see like the light bulb go over her head, and she was like, Scrooge and the Grinch are kind of the same, and I was like, Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you you you're oh. good. I'm gonna get you into my line of work yet kid uh, <laughs> yes a born critic yeah and like so i'd be interested to see what she makes of them because she's very mm-hmm. she's very smart i think 
Trek might be a little bit beyond her. She might be bored by it more than she would be right. not able to understand it. But yeah, I think she'd like yeah. the triples. They're pretty cute. <laughs> they are. And you never know when just like a rogue Cardassian or somebody's going to jump out. And <laughs> yeah. It can look a little scary. It yeah, be, exactly. There's a lot of... A lot of face stuff going on. <laughs> Though she handled the ghosts in Christmas Carol with panache, so she mm-hmm. might she okay. might be there. Yeah. All right. Hey, if she can handle ghosts, get her get her watching uh, Sub Rosa, the one where uh, <laughs> Beverly Crusher has sex with a candle. Um, <laughs> or it, was it a lantern? I don't know. There was a I'm ghost sure, in a lamp. I'm sure her <laughs> mom would appreciate. That. <laughs> yeah, I'm not great with kids. It turns out. <laughs> Emily, from a from a critic standpoint, what do you think is Trek's? Uh, place in the in the modern tv landscape going you know we're at the end of 2020 going into 2021 and how how has it changed since the the 60s and the 90s and the early 2000s because the the shows now are much they are much different in a lot of ways than the original shows star trek always adapts to fit the storytelling style of the time it's in the original series is very 60s heavy. It's very like, oh, we are on a mission of the week. It's influenced mm-hmm. by the Westerns of the era. It's influenced by, you know, shows like um, Combat or Hatari. Some of these, <laughs> right. yeah, some of these uh, kind of more obscure shows now. And yet its universe is, because of that, the universe of the show became so vast and so wide and so wide ranging. So then, you know, you get to Next Generation and Next Generation lives in the world built by the uh, TV show Hill Street Blues, which sort of started to do serialized story arcs within the workplace drama. So Next Gen is a very workplace drama with serialized story arcs. DS9 is in this era of, well, what can we do about um, serialization? Voyager is in an era of, okay, can we do stories with protagonists who are not men, you know, or who are not um, white men, especially. And, you know, enterprises in the era of, we got to make things gritty, guys, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, <laughs> discoveries of very 2010s Star Trek. It's very serialized. It has a large, diverse cast. Um, it's kind of held back in some ways by that serialization, not in a bad way, but in a way that is like, oh, this is less immediately approachable than some of the other mm-hmm. shows. Um, but yeah, I, and I think... I look at Star Trek and I compare it a lot to Doctor Who. They're the two Mm. long-running sci-fi franchises. And I think they say a lot about the countries that made them, if you will. Um, Doctor Who is is what the UK sort of sees as its ideal. It's like, we are the one that can plop in and save the day. And we we are Mm. throughout history. We are throughout the cosmos. We are always there, ready to fix what needs fixing. And like... You look at how long it took them to come up with a doctor who wasn't a white guy, and then it's a white woman, Woo. and you're like, <laughs> okay, sure, gotcha. <laughs> Star Trek is very American idealism. It is a series about a large group of diverse people, and the idea of diversity changes with every new generation that is coming together to solve seemingly unsolvable problems, to broker peace, to make things better. And every era of the show is kind of how America sees itself at that point in time. I think it's interesting that Discovery is about a large group of diverse people on a starship together who are constantly thrown into situations where it feels like either A, they're the bad guys, or B, they are trapped in a universe hostile to them that they cannot escape. And like... (laughs) I don't know. That seems telling. Um, and the only thing that will save them is their passion for science. Yes. Just facts and science. Yes. Good Lord. Yes. Like uh, Star Trek is is a show about how America sees itself. And it is a show about mm. 
It's a show about the present, as we hope it projects into the future. And the fact that it remains essentially an idealistic show about a large group of people from all walks of life solving problems, it does give me some hope for what America can be. Me too. Fantastic. So we kind of touched on our mutual love of Dax earlier, but um, I'd love to give you a chance to just uh, expand on that. So I would watch TV in the 90s. Um, As I mentioned, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian environment. So, you know, the thought of like a gay man was like just like incredibly, incredibly hard to like even conceive of because, you know, Mm. I grew up in a town where there weren't any queer people. I just put Mm. air quotes Mm. around that because we're on Zoom, Uh, but (laughs) for the listeners at home. And I would watch a TV show and there would be like a pretty woman in it. And like, I would look at her and be like, oh, she's attractive and like feel attraction to her. But there was also this element of, oh, I'm attracted to the idea of being her that I wasn't, I didn't have the language for. I could not be like, I wish I looked like Terry Farrell, you know, because um, (laughs) she's gorgeous. She's a gorgeous human being. And Dax was like, an end around, uh, an end run around my um, conscious understanding of myself to my subconscious. Because Dax is a character who is a uh, trill symbiote, which means that she has this this being inside of her that has been implanted into her, and that being has memories of other lives. And uh, her immediate past was as a as a male. So everyone remembers her as a guy. And as someone who transitioned, it is remarkable how often when Cisco talks about knowing Curzon Dax, that it's like when one of my friends from the before times talks about <laughs> my transition. <laughs> and the show did not in any way understand that that is what it was doing. There are some episodes in this show that it's very clear that like they, they would have done a poor <laughs> job with trans issues had mm-hmm. they gotten to them. Um, but... There was such a power to that character to me. It felt like a like a like an electric wire. I shouldn't be touching if I thought too much about it. And yet this thought of, mm. oh, Dax was a guy, but now she's a woman, was almost like it gave me the language to sort of start unraveling that question for myself. It took me many years, but really when I first saw the the women I wanted to be, they were in fiction and they were often Mm. women who had lives as men at some point. Um, The princess Ozma from the Oz series was another one who was, who was a big one for me. And Dax was huge because Dax, everyone respected her as a woman, even though they had known her as a man. And like, to me, that was just like, it was like this idealistic utopian thing. And I couldn't quite pin down why that was. And, Mm to see that every week gave me this, this foundation that I started to build what became my life atop. And, you know, it wasn't solely Dax. It was a bunch of other, you know, things and characters. But I think seeing her in my adolescence when I suddenly just kind of shut down and I kind of just disconnected from my body and I kind of just was like, well, I guess this is what life is. It was a lifeline, and I didn't realize it was a lifeline until I started watching this show again, and I was like, oh, I really loved Dax. Dax was so important to me. I wonder what that was about. And then I'm like, oh, wait, that's extremely (laughs) clear what that was about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can imagine, I mean, that's incredible to go back and have those realizations. And I can imagine that being that it wasn't meant to be a trans allegory at the time, Mm -hmm. it makes it almost like 
then they could dispense with any of the any of the queer trauma stories mm-hmm. that might have normally plagued a character like that. And they could instead just write a complex character that no one has any issue with. And Cisco calls her old man and they talk about it very freely and fluidly so that you're not having to wade through. Yeah, just the usual trauma stories that we get when we try to depict characters like this. So, yeah, I, I think, in a in a way, maybe stuff like that's very very freeing. Oh yeah. Um, the, uh, one of the things that's interesting about this moment in time is if you have a trans character on a show, often they're just there to be like, I am trans and I'm here to tell you what it means mm-hmm. to be trans. Discovery mm-hmm. actually has done a good job of having, uh, trans characters who are just kind of there and like doing their job. And occasionally they're like, Oh, by the way, there's this thing you need to know about me. But yeah, in the 90s, it was that way with all queer identities. It was like, well, you're a lesbian. We'd better talk about that. And then you had better kiss the most attractive woman on the show so that she can be (laughs) like, that was interesting. I'm not going to think about that. Um, And then one of you has to die in a a car wreck or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And but DS9, you know, like like it was a show that I think Odo is another character with like big queer feeling to him without necessarily being directly queer. Um, Mm -hmm. It is... You know, there is a thing about Kira that she's got a very badass, um, hyper-competent queer woman feel to her without, again, being canonically queer. Like, so often queer people see themselves in genre storytelling for that reason, because genre storytelling is about coding things through metaphor. And, like, even if the writing staff of DS9, because I guarantee they did not think about Dax as a trans woman (laughs) allegory, Mm -hmm. even if they didn't see that, I saw it. And, you know, there's all kinds of queer women who saw themselves in the women of this show. I called this the most trans track on Twitter. And, um, I, you know, that's maybe an overstatement because it doesn't have canonically trans characters or whatever. But the metaphors in it are so much about being out on the edge of something and figuring yourself out all in the same moment and having people around you who support you in that journey. And that, to me, is, is, has been my trans experience. Also, the, it cannot be understated that, like, in in a show in a in a in a universe where uh, a lot of episodes are, you know, we're confronted with this thing that is outside of our experience. How do we feel about it? Let's mm-hmm. let's think about it and let's examine it. And then this guy has this feeling, and this these people have this feeling. But the idea that they started with this character rather than making it an episode about that uh, species, mm-hmm. they made it a character. Where everyone's past it, no one has to. Mm-hmm. No one's thinking about it. It's all. It's pre-accepted, and what that means from a from a storytelling standpoint of, you know, rather than present like both sides of an argument about it, they're just like, right. no, this is just who this person is. The end, yeah. and everyone's mm-hmm. fine with it. There's no. Yeah. There's zero issues to be had here. Yeah, it's funny to think how many. If you go back and think about certain episodes of the show throughout all of the series that. You could, if they had approached it from that standpoint, you know, how how different it would be. Yeah. When the show debuted, there was a ton of press around, this is the first black captain in the Star mm-hmm. Trek universe. And like, of course, that, you know, that was, that was a huge thing for diversity on television at the time. And yet within the show, everybody's just like, oh yeah, you're the captain of this, this mm-hmm. um, space station. Um, the writer, Angelica Jade Bastian, um, who writes for Vulture, um, a sister publication of mine, has written so much about the ways in which DS9 created this new view of um, black fatherhood on um, television at the time. And I'm not going to you know, speak for her. She, she can speak for herself, but you should go read her piece, Google 
her name and Black Fatherhood and DS9 because it's a brilliant piece of writing. But yeah, there is this idea of if you just present diversity, if you just present multiple people existing alongside each other, as a matter of fact, as Star Trek always does, there's a power to that. There mm-hmm. is in and of itself a political argument in that, even if you are not making the forthright political argument, even if the events of the episode are just you know, we're going to fight this space monster or whatever happens in that, that given it, not a lot of space monsters in Trek, but you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) It does sort of create this feeling of, oh, the future is for everyone. The future is not just for a certain subset of people. It's for everyone. Everyone lives in the future and we're all going there. (laughs) And we're all going there. Uh, Yeah. We had, uh, we had Angelica on last season to talk exactly that, to talk blackness in Trek. And that piece is I co-sign that piece is just so kiss. Good. Yes, yes. She nails it, yes. and yeah, she had she helped me think about things that I hadn't really even examined about uh, Cisco and Jake. That yeah, just so smart, and yeah, and you're right. There was I do remember there being a ton of press around it when it came out because that is probably why my black father was like, "Hey, this is the trek we're going to sit down and watch every <laughs> single week." Which, whereas with TNG, we watched it sometimes. Sometimes I was doing other shit, but this one, he was like, "No, no, no, we're watching this one." Yeah. And it's because of that representation. I also, just to flip back to Dax real quick, I was just, when Paul, when you were talking about how everything about her character is accepted and there's no there's no centering of the other folks dealing with who she is. Mm-hmm. Like we're not centering their discomfort or acceptance, frankly, because it's not important. Um, I was thinking about the episode when Dax's ex-wife, or rather, I guess it was Tobias's ex-wife, one of her previous hosts, exes now there that symbiote is in a new host and so it's these two hosts these two women who have never met before who have the dax symbiote that used to be married and it's forbidden in troll culture to reunite with former love interest whatever because things can get messy you could see how that might be uh (laughs) (laughs) tricky for their world but um I, i was remembering that episode when you know her ex comes on board and all of the conversation and strife about it is just the strife about the cultural issue of, hey, if you start, if we start hooking up with our exes, things here are going to go wild. <laughs> none of it was gender. None of it was taboo. It was all about this specific problem that they'd cre- that the Trek universe had created within this culture, yeah. which I think that stuff is massively important. Yeah, just to allow characters like this to deal with, to deal with space weirdness and not our regular hangups about gender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be a lesbian, you have to get used to being friends with your exes. And that's the thing that Star Trek DS9 <laughs> taught us. And we do thank them for that. <laughs> oh, well, this has been fantastic. Um, I want to thank you so much for chatting with us. This has been such a fun time talking to you. And I really want you to watch Giri Haji because I need to know what you okay. think. Okay. All right. I will. I will. I will tweet at you when I do. I have several okay. days off coming up, so maybe I'll make that my next project. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Oh, what a joy Emily brought unto us in our in our talk of Deep Space Nine. Absolutely. It was so great to talk with Emily. And speaking of talking with, Ooh. some of you have talked with your computers leaving us reviews. Paul, I feel like I'm rubbing off on you. Your segue skills were always great, but I feel like they've just gotten better and better. <laughs> Tony, you want to hit us with one? 
I want to hit you with one. Okay, this is from Aberk003. That's their handle that they punched in there. Uh, the title is An Absolute Delight Dash Bring Us Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> um, they say nice things up top. They say Paula Tompkins and Tony Newsom are both gems. They're an absolute delight. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, thank you for the nice words. Um, they say, I love the variety of topics and guests. I laugh and geek and learn. It's an unrivaled blend of humor and nerding. And it's clear that PFT and TN... Man, I want a third initial. Truly enjoy each other. Much gratitude for this podcast in such a weird time. I am hereby submitting. Oh, now it gets very formal. I am hereby submitting. Wait, how did he fit? How did he unfurl a scroll in this review? <laughs> Everything's written with a quill. I'm hereby submitting a formal request for y'all to get Snoop Dogg on to talk about the Trek parody he starred in and produced with puppets and 40 cameos. Make this dream come true. Um, Kendra. I don't know if you have a microphone on, but can you tell us what the hell this person is talking uh, yeah, about? I don't know I've what this never is. Heard of this. I have never seen the parody, but what I will tell you and the rest of our fans is that if you watch that rap reality show on uh, Netflix, which I can't remember the name of now, but it's with Chance the Rapper, oh, T.I., yes. and Cardi B. Yep. Maybe. Yep. So they go to Snoop Dogg's studio here in LA at one point. And the dude just has a giant mural across his whole studio wall of like the Enterprise and all this other stuff. It's awesome. He's clearly a fan. I want him here. That was Rhythm <laughs> and Flow, the show you're talking about. And yes, oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, Snoop Dogg, if you're listening to this, please come on. Please come on the show. That was our producer, Kendra, everybody. Uh, and we are going to hit you with another review. Paul, what you got? Five stars from Produceus. All hail Produceus. <laughs> Tawny and PFT talking Trek. When I was a kid in the 70s, I was a huge Star Trek fan, even purchased the official Starfleet Technical Manual, first edition, at the old Federation trading post in Berkeley. Though, so, okay, I'll take your word okay. for it. As an old school Trekker, I love to see these podcast superstars at the helm of the official Aww. Star Trek podcast. I may be biased as a fan of both Tony and Paul, but this intersection of fandoms makes them the perfect hosts for me. Thank you, Produceus. Thank you, Produceus. We bow at your feet. <laughs> <laughs> Produceus, all good gifts to you. Uh, okay, I got one by SKL Tunes. I wonder that what that stands for. I wonder if it stands for Ska Lovely Tunes. <laughs> you know, a bunch of lovely Ska tunes. Um, okay, so SKL Tunes says, easily my favorite podcast. Oh, that's so nice. If podcasts were coffee or <clears throat> Ractagino, say, this is the perfect <laughs> blend. As a whole, it's a balanced mix of fandom, showbiz, humor, and social commentary. Some episodes are stronger in some of those flavors than others, but the hosts are the baristas that make each one delicious. Ooh, SKL Tunes, I love an extended metaphor. Way to go. Thank you for that. Do you think it's secret Kremlin love tunes? Oh, no. Do we have to delete this? <laughs> Otherwise be seen as, as KGB sympathizers? <laughs> Delicious. Oh, the Americans, never far from our thoughts. Oh, the Americans. I want to rewatch it right delete, now. You must delete review. Paul, hit us with hit us with another one of these these uh, reviews. Oh, sure I will. This is from R33 Do Burrito. <laughs> Hell yeah. The even seasons are better. In the beginning of the pandemic, I decided to take a deep dive into the Trek universe, even though I have seen the originals as well as the reboot series. For a time that we are asked to be alone, let me just say that there aren't a whole, a whole lot of things out there 
that makes me feel like I'm a part of a community like this podcast. Okay. Whether I'm driving to work or riding my bike, Tony and Paul have a way to bring us into the Trek community through the connection they have with each other and others. I have very much enjoyed binging through the first season and was sad when it was over. Just like any other show I have binged, I had asked myself, when are they coming back? And here they are with another incredible season waiting for us to gain new insights, to be enlightened, to laugh, to love, and to feel like we're a part of something bigger. Thank you, Tony and Paul, for all that you are doing in the Trek universe. Live long and prosper. Well, live long and prosper to you, our 3-3 Do Burrito. Thank you, 3-3 Do Burrito. Oh, I just like saying I'm, your your name. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that we are helping to provide that sense of community. That makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. Me too. I love that we're able to do that for you all. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. We want to make a little, uh, we might make a little family here. <laughs> All right. What do I got? I'm the dada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the weird sister. Okay. <laughs> this one says five stars by Lickety Snit. So great to hear Trek laugh at itself. Been a fan since I was a kid. Even recently got a Trek tattoo. Okay, just an aside. I, I we do need to know what that Trek tattoo is. So if you could post it somewhere, <laughs> you can't and tag just us. say that. Yeah, you can't just say <laughs> just a Trek tattoo. It could be anything. Did you get the Enterprise D? Is it a Tribble? Who knows? Um, maybe it's a full full bust of Robert Picardo. Who knows? <laughs> um, okay, so even recently got a Trek tattoo and have been a fan of PFT and Tawny for many years as well. Thank you so much. Um, this podcast is so great. Love Lower Decks. Thank you again. And the other new series on CBS. And this podcast is a fantastic addition. Hope you guys get to interview some more stars from the series, classic and contemporary. Thanks for this. Makes 2020 less bleak. What they didn't say is it makes 2021 more bleak. Yeah, that's true. But we also hope to interview more stars. If you're a star listening to this, come on the show. <laughs> well, that does it for our reviews for now. We'll be back next week with some more stuff, talking to more people, more reviews maybe. Yeah, if you want to hear your, your review read on the podcast, all you got to do is write it. <laughs> write it. We might read it. Okay, thank you, everyone. We love you. Live long and prosper. Bye-bye. Live long and prosper. Bye-bye. Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.